when I got a phone call um, from my mother and ended up having to speak with law enforcement over the phone at midnight uh, because of the danger that my sister was in. Uh, so that's something that in that point in time too, um, it turned out that after this incident where my father um, really was being abusive towards my pregnant stepmother at the time, uh, my mother actually filed for emergency sole custody of my sister and I. And that was, I would say, I think I was 15 years old. So I was like a sophomore in high school when uh, realistically my father actually never regained his visitation rights to my sister or myself uh, due to this incident. So that's something that um, is kind of, is very traumatic in that sense because knowing that any point in time after this is like we weren't legally allowed to see our father. So that's where I, my sister and I both actually started to get in trouble in school. to Dads and Deadless podcast with me, your host, Rish. This podcast is to raise awareness around the social stigma of the word man up. Research has shown men are less likely to seek help for trauma, abuse, neglect, addictions, and mental illness because they will be perceived as weak. Research had directly or indirectly linked these problems to the social and cultural perceptions of the word man up. It's time to start a conversation and redefine this word man up. Each week, you will be hearing from men and women all around the world who survived emotional abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, and addictions, and how they came out on the other side with triumph to begin a new chapter. You will also hear from experts and coaches all around the globe on matters like brain health, psychology of men and women, holistic healing, fitness, and last but not least, what it takes to be a man, overcoming the social stigma and expectations, and tap into your individual unique authenticity and vulnerability. Thank you for joining me in this mission to serve men around the world and letting them know they are not alone in this. Welcome to another episode of Dads and Dudless with me, your host, Rish. Today's episode, I have invited one of very good friend of mine from my CrossFit box, uh, David Bellinger. And the reason I asked him to come on this show, uh, because when I started this podcast, uh, he's one of the few guys that uh, knew about this and why I started this podcast. And one day we talked and I, I still remember sometime in June of 2020, after our workout, we stopped and talked about it. And I suddenly realized that he has such an incredible story of pain to purpose that uh, I have to bring him on to share his story. So without further ado, let's welcome my friend, Dave Bell. How are you, Dave? Good, Rich. How are you doing? Hey, good, good, good. Thank you for uh, being on here. And spending some time behind the mic with me. Oh, of course, man. I, I just feel very appreciative to be a part of this, to be part of the journey that everything you, you've been working so hard to build towards and just be able to give my experiences in life so far and be a good part of this project that you've started up. And I'm honored. I'm honored, brother. 
So let let me uh, explain. I mean, like, let's just go ahead and tell a little bit about yourself so that my listeners can understand like who you are and where you're coming from. And then of course we'll get into the more detailed uh, story. Yeah. Uh, so obviously I, um, I'm in law enforcement. And so a lot of what pertains to my kind of story uh, kind of led me to this path that I ended up choosing to get into the field, work within law enforcement. Um, I originally was born in Alaska, um, moved to the state of Michigan um, by the time I was about three, four years old. And so I've been living in Michigan ever since. Um, you know, big avid fan, obviously, of working out, um, being physically fit, and where we got a chance to meet Rish and and bond over working out, law enforcement, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, that's that's a lot about myself. No, and uh, one of the big, best thing that um, I I told you during our conversation that your uh, blend of um, being from Alaska and then Michigan and then you also you have a root in Arizona. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I remember talking to you. I was like, okay, so you have you have best of both worlds, actually. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can uh, experience the winter, harsh winter, and then Michigan winter, and then if you want, you can go to Arizona. Oh, yeah. So. So where, where really did your journey start? Um, so where you were born in Alaska, like, do you remember? Did you stay there? So actually I lived there for about three years. Um, I mean, it's one of those that I have small snippets here and there, you know, being a young child. Um, but that's something that it's, it's really funny to me because um, Rish, I know that you would have what a three-year-old at home nowadays too, right? Um, so just right. like being right. able to build those memories and kind of experience what I experienced in um, a pretty extreme place, I would say. Um, that's something that to get around a lot, I had to fly a lot. So that's something that um, I am no stranger to traveling, no stranger to being on airplanes, doing all sorts of road travels as well. Um, and after that, um, we I moved to the state of Washington in the eastern side uh, for about a year uh, with my family. And then we moved to Michigan. Um, and so that's something that my mother's family is from Michigan. Um, and just being able to come back here has been great for me. Great to actually get to meet cousins and meet my extended family that way has been a good blessing for me growing, being able to grow up here in Michigan. And like I said, being, being able used to travel and all that kind of stuff has given me great, great world and life experience. <laughs> Wow, well, for sure, I, I, I definitely believe that. Um, so when you moved from Alaska, uh, did you guys move to Michigan? So that's where we moved from. Uh, we moved from Alaska. I was born in Anchorage. Um, and then we lived in a little village called Wasilla um, for about six months because I was too young to fly. Um, and then from there, we moved to a different village that's about an hour west of Anchorage to Dillingham. Um, so after we, I lived there until I was three years old, moved to Moses Lake, Washington from Alaska, and then moved from uh, Washington to uh, Midland, Michigan. So if people are familiar with that area, that's where I ultimately grew up. 
Um, and that's kind of my journey as far as travel from state to state to state and now landed in Michigan. Wow. And so most of your story, most of, and then we'll get into it, uh, most of your story really happened in Michigan growing up and mm -hmm. yeah. uh, most of your life in Michigan. Um, so what made you decide on law enforcement and was it a conscious choice or is it more of a, uh, you know, like conscious choice from your life or is it more of a uh, service oriented like you already thought about it? So what actually ended up leading me to law enforcement, I graduated high school being ready to go to be an engineer. Um, I had taken all sorts of, you know, specialty classes in high school where chemistry, physics, uh, you know, on the accelerated math um, course courses, uh, had even taken some like intro programming classes. So I was like right along the line of flirting in between like mechanical engineering and computer engineering, uh, got to college and then figured out that's not exactly what I really wanted to do. Um, I'm much more of like a people person as you can as you can tell at the gym, how uh, socially active I am with talking with people. Um, but that's something that ultimately, when I got into college, I was kind of exploring what I really wanted to do. I ended up taking a, an intro criminal justice course. And that's something that that experiences, being able to kind of listen to what the criminal justice system is like in the United States um, what a career potentially could be for me is something that, given my life experiences that I had growing up, that's something that I was, I felt compelled to go forth with. Um, and a lot of it had to do with what I lived through, what I experienced, really helped push me down that kind of path and really wanted me to help people. And obviously law enforcement were there to help people and, all, and as it is the other side of it too, is also hold those that are doing bad, you know, responsible for the, and to the consequences of their actions. Um, so that's where law enforcement for me really, you know, fulfilled both parts because wanting to see people held responsible for their actions and the chance to be able to be out, you know, helping the public, helping people is really a good calling for me. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing uh, service and it's an amazing calling no matter what is going on in today's world, you know, and I feel like uh, we all are um, too extreme and that's just my opinion. Uh, and we need to look at both perspectives. So having said that, let's kind of jump into your story here. Uh, so your story really uh, is something that resonates so closely with me, especially because of the fact that literally this is why I'm doing why I'm doing this basically right what I'm doing so and and the fact that you your story has the story of a man who was well educated respected and had a completely opposite side behind closed doors mm -hmm. and uh, and that just goes to show that how the social stigma like man up and uh, not show your emotions can create really uh, a man 
who not only struggling himself and will pass that struggle to his family and kids and whatnot. So let's talk a little bit about that and um, just give us an overall view. How's your childhood and what your story is about? Yeah. Uh, so like you kind of said, just going with the, the man up, uh, showing the emotions kind of thing. Uh, that's something as soon as you talk to me about the podcast about that, that's something that I fought for a long time in my life to, I struggled with that. That's something personally I struggled with in the fact that I didn't want to show the emotions about what I experienced. And, and why I say that is because it has probably been with only within the last four years or so that I really was telling people exactly what was kind of going on in my life um, and what kind of emotions I was feeling on the inside. And so to, to kind of, like you say, jump right into it, um, just kind of the overview is that um, I'm the eldest child of my mother and father. Uh, my parents separated and divorced when I was about five, six years old. Um, I had uh, limited visitation through the court systems um, growing up until I was about 14, 15 years old. So I was like a fresh freshman, sophomore in high school. Um, and I'll kind of go into more detail, obviously, as we as we talk. But um, ultimately, he lost custody. I didn't end up spending more time with him really until I turned 18 when I was legally allowed to see him. Um, and then through some of his life choices he was making, ultimately ended up, you know, having me sever ties with my own father um, just because of the ramifications of his actions, how it was impacting me, my family, um, my you know, siblings. Um, so that's something that I struggle with a long time because if you, like, if you hadn't talked about what this podcast, what you initiative you're working towards, that's something that, you know, it's not, it's not something I just wear on my sleeve, but as soon as something's brought up like it, I'm like, oh, I have this story because I want to share it. I want to be able to let you know, as you see me, just a, you know, fellow gym goer, what, and, you know, that I'm in law enforcement, but it's just one of those that, I struggle too, like as a as an individual, um, outside of the gym, outside of my profession, I as a single person have struggled as a man in our society to be that bold face and not show emotions and not really share. And the more I share about my life, the more you get to understand me as a person and why, you know, not the things that I do or say, but it's just, you can kind of get an idea of who I am and what I've gone through. So it's, there's, I'll go in a little more detail as we go along, but that's just a broad overview and why I'm really here to be with you. And like I said, an honor to be a part of this. No, it's, it's, it's uh, fascinating uh, when you were saying all this. And of course, we'll get into details. And um, I do want to say something about when you said like you share now and uh, to help others. Uh, as I say that often, it's not just about helping others. Uh, every time we share our vulnerable part that's uh, inside us and that were that was trapped in us uh, for whatever reason, social stigma, our own ego problem, and it's just everything is just you know around the culture and learning environment that we grew up in. And um, 
and we go into autopilot mode. So we really are not paying attention to all this day by day and these traumas stay in our body. And of course it's all stays in it. But the way I see it, every time you share your story, I feel like you're letting go one, one at a time. And uh, it, it did wonders with, to me uh, that more I started sharing my story, I felt like I started lifting that weight, like, okay, um, outside, as you said, like, you know, looking at you, you're a law enforcement officer, you're, uh, you know, like just carrying on with your life. And, you know, from outside, everything seems perfect. And uh, inside, we all are struggling, right? Some way or the other. And uh, so the fact that, you know, you said that, and the fact that I also did that, I felt like every time I shared my story, every time uh, weight had been lifted. So it was a, it, it's a really good journey of healing uh, and, and absolutely uh, you're doing the right thing. And um, so the next thing is, as you said, like, you know, I have a question for you. You said like about like four years ago, you started sharing. Uh, before we jump into it, I'm going to start a little backward this show that <laughs> I'm going to ask you, like, was it really because of the social stigma or was it uh, your time to process and until four years ago, you finally processed everything to really put in words? So, I mean, part of it was um, just kind of who, like, being a man in society, really not wanting to be... To, to really share, because I, I didn't think it was people's place to have to bear my burdens of hearing my story. That's what I thought. Um, and then it was kind of that time where I was still processing things. Um, <laughs> I still kind of hung on to the thought that, you know, my father could change, that things would improve. Um, so it was kind of, it was, you know, part of this, part of that. And ultimately, the reason why I ended up started talking about four years ago is just, you know, I finally ended up having to cut, like I said, cut ties. And once I started to really feel that, like, real deep emotional to kind of have that severance, to have that, uh, you know, emotional bond, that was a lot. And so that's when I really, really hit, like, emotional rock bottom was to see that that's gone. Like that, that is a part that I don't think I'd ever get back from. And so it was just working towards being able to feel, like you said, you know, have that burden lift up, lifted off of you. And the more that I said, started sharing, uh, you know, the more people started to realize who I am, like the, the true me, you know, not always just the happy go lucky guy, you know, kind of the jokester, whatever, but you know, I, I do have a lot going on and I, and I do have a lot to offer when people, you know, talk about issues that they have going on, if they ever bring it up to me, you know, they, they know kind of a place where I'm coming from and feel comfortable to come to me. So that's where I decided four years ago to really start, you know, breaking that man up code where you don't show emotions. I just figured it worked best for me to at least my friends know exactly what's going on and to help me recover and to help have them understand why I had started to act the way I was four years ago when I had to make those emotional cuts um, and kind of hit emotional rock bottom at that point. Yeah, and then is that is there a specific flaming uh, question or situation that prompted you to finally uh, do that? 
So part of it had been that my father had been in some legal trouble. Um, he was a medical doctor. He had lost his medical license. Um, he had started actually having some other issues financially and stuff. And I was starting to kind of get tied with it. Um, so for me, as someone that's entering the law enforcement field at that point four years ago, um, that's one of those that I had to distance myself because that's something that I knew going forward that um, they were going to start asking questions. They were going to start being like, well, you know, there's all this amount of you know, drugs involved in something, you know, is it, there's a lot, there's a lot riding on my career future. And just the way that he had, had started to act is really what, what did it. And then I'll talk a little bit more, but it's about three years ago now um, that something forever changed. And what I had decided four years ago, I knew was the right decision on why I did it. And three years ago, just reinforced my decision to have that final cut ties gone for good. So. Right. No, and and that's 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 something that I I feel like you were uh, you you were on a right path when you told me the whole story and getting to know that and definitely at this point like you were in a much better place and probably I'm pretty sure you're still healing and you're still there will be things that's there our past doesn't go away right like it's just a memory stack it's there. And uh, I talk, talk about it a lot, and especially in my book, too, that I'm writing is, uh, you know, like our mind really is, is our mind uh, is not free because it's occupied with thought, so it cannot be free. Um, so all we can do is just trying to let go of things uh, one by one and however you choose to. And then, you know, I mean, that's just keep that mind unbiased and really look at things, not just from emotional standpoint, but from from a distance to understand like where we can uh, really make that connection to free that mind and let go of past. And that that means let go of friends and families too, some that we are known our lives for. So quick question, I wanna jump in here. Uh, so you, you started uh, right after high school, uh, you joined college and then there you started in the law enforcement, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so how long have you been in the law enforcement now? Um, so it was actually, um, so I had actually graduated from the police academy four and a half years ago. Um, so I've been an active law enforcement member for the last four years. Um, and so that's something that, um, yeah, I, I finished high school, finished college, and then got into law enforcement. Um, and so, like I said, like right along those path lines of college, um, when I had thought I had I'd been away and could finally kind of focus on myself, um, was still having, you know, family issues at home with my father. And then, like I said, even going through the, the law enforcement process, getting into the police academy, I was having issues with him then. And that's when I had to cut, cut ties then. Um, so it's, it's been something since, as long as I can remember, there's always been ongoing issues with my father. Um, so it, yeah, that's where just having to cut ties was a big deal for me at that point and just kind of work through as law enforcement and be able to use my experience in the field 
um, to and share my share my experiences to those that I'm working with in the field um, has been a, a great help for me and a great help for those people that I'm helping out as well. The reason why I got into law enforcement, um, there's a lot of traumas that I saw growing up. And that's something that I didn't, I had more police contact in the way that I was growing up that was a you know, bad kid, all that kind of stuff. So I, I kind of saw how their role impacted a lot of people's lives. And that's something that initially when I was, when I. Overall, like, let's get back when you said, like, in high school, you had encountered um, law enforcement. And that's where, of course, I know the story. So let's, like, jump in um, your story. And I asked people, what's your story? Because your story made who you are. So yeah. take it from here, brother. Uh, just really right. share what you want to share. Um, so I'll kind of, I'll kind of use, um, my, like I talked to you about with my high school experience at the very minimum to right. start right now, it's a good launching off point. Um, so what ended up happening is my father had been very, um, physically abusive towards the women in his life which rather that be my mother, uh, my stepmother, um, any of the women that he was dating, uh, to the point where he never physically abused my, I have a younger sister and I'm the oldest uh, child. Um, so it was one of those that he never physically did anything towards my sister or myself, but verbally abused us pretty hard. Um, and so there was one weekend that during his visitation time, uh, my sister went up with my father to go up north and they're supposed to be spending time as, as, as a family with my stepmother, um, who at this point in time was actually, I think she was seven months pregnant. And my father was verbally harassing my stepmother so badly um, that my sister actually felt fear uh, to be around my father. Uh, just to be in his physical presence. And I actually happened to be away at a friend's house at that time. So I was gone completely from this entire situation. When I got a phone call um, from my mother and ended up having to speak with law enforcement over the phone at midnight uh, because of the danger that my sister was in. Uh, so that's something that in that point in time too, um, it turned out that after this incident where my father um, really was being abusive towards my pregnant stepmother at the time, uh, my mother actually filed for emergency sole custody of my sister and I. And that was, I would say, I think I was 15 years old. So I was like a sophomore in high school when uh, realistically my father actually never regained his visitation rights to my sister or myself. Uh, due to this incident. So that's something that um, is kind of is very traumatic in that sense, because knowing that any point in time after this is like we weren't legally allowed to see our father. So that's where I, my sister and I both actually started to get in trouble in school is because we would actually skip out on class to go see him for lunch to go be with him. 
like he would come to the school and pick us up. This is obviously, you know, early, like mid 2000s. So schools were still decently lax. unlike nowadays, but that's something that we had no issue being able to walk out of school without anyone really stopping us or having any questions. Um, so that's something that from that point on, um, where our visitation that had been, you know, legally granted to them was taken away and we're just trying to supplement to see them in small little doses just by skipping school because we weren't allowed to see them on the weekends. Um, so that's something that, you know, profoundly impacted myself and my sister for a long time because the less we saw of him, the more we only saw little snippets of the really good parts of him and never any of the real demons that we had actually seen a lot more growing up with them while we had the visitation privileges. Um, so that's kind of like where my launching point is on that end of it. And to kind of now go down the rabbit hole a little bit more and talk about uh, what I experienced growing up, um, I think kind of plays into what you're talking about with my life story is my father is actually native Alaskan. So that's where coming in from being in Alaska, uh, born Alaskan, he did his um, medical school at Michigan State University, did his residency in Michigan. That's where he met my mother. Um, and then after he finished his residency, uh, they got married and moved back to Alaska. I was born. Um, and then after a few years, they moved back to Michigan and then my sister was born. Um, but I mean, even then, some of the earliest memories that I have is my father and mother arguing, and I would kind of have to step in and, you know, try to do the little kid thing and be like, hey, stop fighting. Um, and I try to do little things to try to keep us together. But ultimately, what I realized is that my father actually had a, had a lot of demons going on inside of him that he was lashing out to us. And he had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, um, explosive disorder, and a, a few other, you know, mental health issues that he had been taking medications, but uh, he, he kept falling into those traps of, uh, you know, manic depressive cycles and getting on and off his medication. So it's one of those that I didn't realize it and didn't recognize it for the longest time. Um, so my, my parents divorced when I was relatively young, uh, I would say I was probably five or six years old. And so that is one of those that, like I said, some of the earliest memories, because, you know, the way the, he, the human brain is wired is some of those more traumatic events you remember. Those are some of the things I remember from my, you know, early, early childhood is of those things going on in between my parents. Um, Wow. Uh, wow. Just kind of, just kind of touch base on what you just explained touch your life. On what you just explained and I think life. you're right because our human brain, yeah, you know, like right um, there's a two million year old brain and uh, it's meant for our survival. <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. it's always uh, gonna uh, get triggered with uh, things like that. And that's just how we are. And we are born like that. And, my question to you, and there's so many things I want to ask you right now. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned that your father, the less you saw of your father, you and your sister, 
and you guys were, will skip school to go meet him. Uh, was it more because you were missing him and you, you still, you wanted to see your father and, or was it more of a combo of you're missing him at the same time you are hoping to see a different side of your father that you were not, you guys were not used to seeing? So the biggest thing is we, we still wanted to see him because there are a lot of, you know, he's still our father. So it was like one of those, there's still a lot of happy memories, but it's one of those that it's the best analogy that I've always used to describe is like Jekyll and Hyde. So it's one of those that, especially given his mental health and everything that he is facing, um, he would be that funny jokester, your best friend, dad kind of situation. Um, and then just for an example, my sister, they're out rollerblading one time and she fell and, you know, potentially hurt herself a little bit. And he was so mad at her because, you know, there's no reason why he should have been mad, but he just was mad because her falling and getting hurt ruined their time that they're spent, they could have spent more time rollerblading and the fact that, you know, it's one of those memories, this is before he lost custody, that he got mad at her and was yelling at her so that my sister went and finished, they got back to the house, finished rollerblading, and she just went right through her room. So it's like one of those that you, you could never know who you're going to get. But at the same time, it was like 80%, you know, the happy-go-lucky person that you want to be around and then every once in a while it's that kind of person that you never know who you're going to get and we didn't experience that a whole lot because we didn't have that much time with them we only had scheduled visitation uh every monday and every other weekend so it's like one of those for a long time is always that kind of small condensed amount of time but we still went through so much of the stuff because we never, like I said, we never knew who we we're going to get, who we we're going to see, who we we're going to face. And every time after he lost custody, he was almost like that 90%, like he'd bumped it up from, the, you know, 80, 20 to 90, 10, even at that point. So the, the smaller doses of him you get, the more you feel like you're missing out on, you know, having a father in your life that's actually there to be your father, to be with you. And that's where the smaller and smaller doses we're getting, the more positive we're seeing him as until um, we both got older, where we both graduated high school. Um, I remember my freshman year of college, I was able to go spend a lot more time with him. And even over the summer and be before I moved to college, I actually moved into his house. And that lasted about um, two months at the max, because at that point in time, it was so toxic that um, being around them that often, instead of it being 80-20, and like I said, even that 90-10, now it's more of like 50-50. And you were just more afraid to see what would actually set them off because it could just be about anything. Um, so that's where, like I said, we started to skip school because we kept seeing such, such a good guy, such a fun dad to be around, such that that person you want to have in your life. And then the reality of it was not that at all. Once we actually had that ability to go on our own as adults to actually go spend time with them. You know, problems that they had seen or did 
everyone miss it? Like, what would you say to that? <laughs> no, so actually, it's one of those that it's always interesting when you get older to actually learn some of the things about what you, what your perception of things were going on when you were a child versus what you actually ended up seeing or like what you end up knowing after the fact. Um, there's an instance where I remember my mother taking us um, down to like my aunt and uncle, one set of them lived in near uh, Ypsilanti. So we went down and stayed near them for about a week. And it was they, you know, my mom sold it to us when I was probably seven or eight. And it's just like, hey, we're on vacation. And what it turns out is that my father uh, actually had been harassing my aunts and uncles because my mother had taken us away during all of the um, child custody issues going on after the divorce was finalized. And it turns out that my mother, you know, paid straight cash to it for a motel for us just to stay for a week to kind of give time for my father to cool down and to kind of to stop harassment and, you know, everything that was going on with that. So a lot of our family members never really talked about it because we actually had been going to see a counselor, but that's something at the same time, you know, for the age of my sister and I, it's not really recognizing that we're getting help for all the divorce, for uh, the child custody, all that kind of stuff. We just had no idea exactly what was going on. So while we're kind of in the dark about a lot of things, our family members at the same time kind of didn't really approach us to, to let us kind of know exactly what's going on. So I think part of that was to kind of shelter us because while the gravity of the situation that was happening in real time uh, with life, there was a lot of bad things that were going on. But that's one of those that uh, my mother finally admitted to me later, not too long ago. She's like, I try to give you the most normal childhood that you could have. But unfortunately, you know, being the oldest and being the only son for the longest time was that I you know, I was the one that between child custody, um, between that time, um, then I was the one to communicate messages uh, between my parents because my father never wanted to talk with my mother. Um, so it, it was those kind of things that really set it up that, um, you know, really, really hurt me growing up was that I didn't recognize that I was being used as kind of that intermediary and it shouldn't have been put on me. But that's just something that my father was taking advantage of that situation to use me and manipulate me um, to get back at my mother. So it, it's not for a lack of um, people missing it, it's just they wanted to try to keep us to have a, a normal childhood as much as we could have. But ultimately, it, it ended up not being as normal <laughs> as, we, as we thought it could have been. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just where we ended up um, kind of rolling with the punches once it's all said and done. So um, there, the one thing, like, like I kind of said, the 80-20, he's very charismatic. Like You never knew the 20 side of it because a lot of people are never around him long. So that's just where 
he always put on a really good face for the public. But then once he got him behind closed doors, he that's where the real Jekyll and Hyde situation came out came out and about. So that's just kind of where that where that all comes in into play. I mean, I could I could hardly I mean I could imagine that what you guys had been through, and then especially you uh, going through and being a messenger when you are trying to figure out all this, you know, why am I with dad? Why am I with mom? And being the messenger of like, you know, back and forth talks. Um, how do you relate to that nowadays? Like when you, when you now, when you grew up and understood that this is what was happening. And if you have to go back and someone's listening who is in similar position as you, and I, I guess the way I normally ask, I would ask this question is like, what would you tell your younger self? Um, that's actually a very good question. Um, so, you know, Rich, like I talked to you about uh, off air. Right. Um, it's just one of those situations. It's just one of those situations where I never realized what was actually happening. Um, it's just one of those that um, I ended up, you know, long story short, my educational background um, ended up going to Michigan State University, graduating with a bachelor's in criminal justice and psychology. And one of the things that they actually touched on um, is what, uh, like I talked to you about, is ACEs which is the adverse childhood experiences that people face growing up. And kind of, I already touched base on a little bit of it, but it's like that, that parental manipulation between one parent and another, use the children to get back at the other. And it does, you know, it does some real harm. So to, to kind of go back, um, if I could tell my younger self is to try to stay out of it. But I mean, that's one of those where I thought I was doing, I thought I was doing a service to my parents to be that one to go in between. But that's where if my father didn't like what my mother said, instead of being mad at her right away, he would be mad at me. And it's not even my message. So, you know, don't shoot the messenger. But the way he was, he always took it out on me personally by you know, verbally berating me. So that's something that if, if I could go back and tell my younger self is you, you can't let your parents do this and I mean as much as it was as it sucked for me to have my father lose custody it was one that actually as time went on it was much better for me to not be around um, just because of the damage that he was doing you know psychologically mentally on myself is something that looking at it now uh, I have a lot of scars um, that I not that I could have prevented, but if, if I would have been able to know and realize what was happening, I wish I could have stopped and try to try to prevent some of the things that he that he did. Yeah, you talked about ACEs and of course uh, a lot of other um, people and guests on this podcast. I talked about ACEs and it's such a powerful uh, tool to kind of uh, for counselors and therapists and uh, psychologists to use to understand um, uh, the mental health uh, for kids and growing up and whatnot. Um, let me ask you one more very important question. And now you are 
an amazing human being. And I'm not telling you because I'm interviewing you and I know you, uh, I, I know you in person. And uh, how, what did it take for you to overcome all this trauma? And I, I, I'm, I can guarantee and I'm pretty sure you are still working on it. We all have traumas. We are, it's a journey. I, I always talk about it's never a goal. It's never ending. Uh, it's always that to keep that voice in our head calm all the time. Uh, what did you do first? Or I guess walk us through the journey of when did you start growing up and all of this trauma came up and what was that journey like for you? All right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it, it's, the memory is weird like that. Right. So there's, I have a lot of good, happy memories that I always associate this time spent with my father. Um, but then as I got older to kind of reflect and look back at some of those memories to realize that there's a lot more dark edges around them than what it just initially appears. Um, so my father was a medical doctor. Um, so he kind of came from um, some, you know, societal privileges because of his status. Um, so there was a lot of instances where he would be there in our lives and then just kind of disappear for a while. Um, and it turns out the, um, to kind of protect my sister and I, he was in jail from time to time for either non-payment for child support or another domestic abuse charge against you know, various girlfriends or whatever at that time. Um, there is one instance where I had this memory where my mom was like, my mother was like asking me to call 911 when I was probably about six years old. And I didn't realize what was really going on at the time. And it turns out that my father was physically abusing my mother while they're not married. Um, he was supposed to come uh, visit us earlier, a supervised visit where we're just supposed to be at like a McDonald's or something, just, just to have dinner together. Um, he showed up late, didn't show up to McDonald's while we're there. And us being so young, um, obviously we work out that late as far as bedtime goes. But he forced his way into our house and had been choking my mother. So that's something that I, you know, I never really knew what it was for the longest time until I started being able to open up to my mother and kind of be like, hey, what are these? Because there's some questions that I had about my childhood experiences growing up. And, and my mother's a saint because she she was a nurse. Um, so, I mean, that's something that's how they met. My father and mother met. So just something that she had been working so hard to provide for us that she, once we started to be able to open up to her and ask questions about um, our childhood is really where we started to grow and kind of recognize um, the issues that we had been facing with our, with our father and sister with our father. Um, just because we started to get older, started to see you know more of that 50-50 split than it is what we had been experiencing as as children growing up and then to kind of realize there's a lot of pain that can be associated with being with him but that's it so it's self-inflicted on his end because he as and as I grew up more and more 
Um, I'd be asking him about his medication, about how he's doing mentally. Um, and he would give me that kind of, oh, well, I'm doing really well. So I stopped taking my medication. And <laughs> as someone that's on bipolar disorder, that's never a good sign for them to keep going on and off. And um, even with him being a medical doctor, he should have known better just personally uh, with all his medical knowledge to know that he shouldn't have been doing what he was doing. But that's just something that I was able to learn more, open up more, kind of understand where he is coming from. But at the same time, it, does, it doesn't make an excuse for what he had done, not only to myself, but to my mother, to various girlfriends, stepmothers. Um, and then it finally reached a breaking point in 2013 where my stepmother filed for divorce against my father. And had moved on the same day that she had given him papers, she had already moved out while he was at work just because of her fear of him and the repercussions that would be coming of her decision to file all the paperwork to divorce him and to move out. Um, at the same time, my sister actually stopped talking to my father and had been very, very supportive of my stepmother and who now we had a half-sister with. Um, so I have a young stepsister or a young half sister, try to put her, like realize what situation she was in. So I try to stay that communication bridge where I was on good sides with everybody. Um, but that's something that, you know, even that took its toll for me because my father would be seeing, saying nasty things about my sister or my uh, you know, former stepmother. And it finally reached a breaking point where he ended up losing his medical license through um, some scandals that I won't really get involved with here with that here. Um, but that's something that, you know, his, he had, a, he ended up facing his demons because of his actions and everything he did within the medical field. Um, so that's something that, you know, that started to catch up with him. His personal life started to catch up with him. Um, the fact that, he would try to communicate out um, to my sister, but be very nasty towards her. You know, the disintegration of family along there, everything started to really come to a head. Um, and it, it just never really, never really got better from there, even with all the times that I was trying to help him out um, and to be there for him, even though he had put me through everything. And it wasn't until about 2015, Christmas, actually five years ago, um, it was Christmas of 2015. We texted each other, Merry Christmas. And that is the last time I communicated with my father. Um, and to kind of wrap up more of this later end of the story, and like you said, it's a, it's a never-ending journey. It's not something like we finally hit a plateau. After I'd started to try to finally come to grips with not communicating with my father anymore uh, two years ago, in March of 2018, the former stepmother who I have the half-sister, she has my half-sister, um, she, she called me up one day on a Saturday afternoon. She said, hey, I have someone for you to meet. And over, uh, over FaceTime, she's like, meet your half-brother who was six weeks old and had just gotten released from the hospital because my father had abused him so horribly that he had to be hospitalized at, at five weeks old. And that my father had been arrested for child abuse once again, uh, 
on top of the child abuse was domestic violence because my half brother's mother, biological mother, had attempted suicide because of the treatment that my father had been giving her. So, I mean, that it, it's something that I had finally started to you know, heal and learn about everything that's going on. And then the, the traumatic events that happened thereafter to know the, the physical pain that he keeps inflicting on people uh, was just insurmountable to know that I had a five-week-old half-brother that was hospital, hospitalized for malnutrition and a broken collarbone. I mean, that's something that, you know, is unforgivable in my eyes. So it's, he was arrested and finally tr- put on trial and was convicted of child abuse first degree and domestic third offense, domestic abuse third offense. So he is currently facing seven years in prison here in the state of Michigan. Um, and that just came out about this time last year. So he's still going to be at minimum serving the next six years in prison. Um, so it's, it's an, like you said, it's a journey. It's something that it kind of set me back a little bit just because there's so much going on. There's so many open wounds that came with having to deal with the trial through all of 2019 to know what my half brother had been going through, even though he you know, was just a baby. That's something that, you know, he, he'll never understand, you know, the, the physical repercussions, the possible mental repercussions that he faced at the hands of my father is something that, um, like I said, that's unforgivable to me, regardless of his of his mental status, uh, mental health. Those those kind of things. Are, when it's someone that's five weeks old as a baby, you can't do that. And that's something that, you know, we kind of touched about why I joined law enforcement. It's reasons like that that I can step in and kind of connect and explain to people that when I'm out working that I'm like, hey. You know, I've experienced a lot of things too. Uh, I've, I've experienced a lot of hard things in my life and being able to, you know, bridge that kind of personal connection actually helped me a lot more to have people open up to me during, you know, law enforcement encounters. Wow. I mean, what a story you have, Dave. I mean, seriously. Uh, and, you know, I agree. Um, you as a person are very um, emotionally sound. I, never, I feel like you are very in tune with, how you reach to people and talk to people. And I don't doubt that you do the same thing while you uh, wear your uniform. So a lot of respect, brother, for that. Um, before I get into this, how's your uh, brother doing? I'm, I'm assuming, of course, it's been a year, year and a half, what I'm understanding. He's doing good? Yes. So actually, the really good news, too. Um, so what ended up happening, like I kind of touched base like during that portion of the story, um, so my brother's biological mother and her entire family did not want anything to do with him. Um, so he was supposed to be given up to a foster home um, because my, my father, we have very limited family on his side and he was you know, facing prison time. So he had been arrested for all the, that period of time. Um, especially with the seriousness of the offenses and just the, the um, habitual offender status due to all the domestic violence issues, they did not release him out of jail until his trial was over. Um, so the update on that is that actually my step, former stepmother, who's the mother of my half-sister, 
actually filed for emergency foster care. And after that point, after my brother was released from the hospital at six weeks old, she actually took him home because she's also a nurse too. So she was able to take care of him and got her foster license and had been fostering him. And with the conclusion of my father's trial, um, my stepmother uh, actually was awarded custody of him. So she officially adopted him of someone that's not even blood related to her, but is just a family member to her daughter and to me and to my sister, you know, the kindness of out of her heart to actually go ahead and do all that. She's a saint. I mean, that's something that you, it's, that'd be so hard to do because she is having to wake up every two to three hours for the first four months to feed him because he is so uh, under like malnutrition that she was having to do all that work to keep him. So he's, he's one happy baby. He's one happy toddler. Now he'll be turning, let's see, he'll be turning three coming up in January. So it's something that we're uh, super excited to actually have him in the family. He's we get videos all the time, especially during the COVID time. We haven't been able to go up there as much and see him as we want to, but I mean, it's something that we're all super close and very, very happy to be, having him in our lives and the, the good life that he's able to live now. Oh my God, that just tells me, you know, that just gave me goosebumps because my son's going to turn three uh, in, in uh, one and a half week. And uh, the fact that uh, someone else is, you know, like my brain goes like, okay, someone else was going through that when my son was born too. Uh, it's, 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 it just, you know, it makes me sad at the same time. I'm very happy that uh, you guys are uh, all uh, happy bunch and take care of that uh, of that little baby uh, you know and that tells me you know it's it's really weird that how and I talk about finding purpose and finding happiness through pain and um, yes your uh, father inflicted pain and which is absolutely unforgivable and especially when it comes to baby and the kids as a dad and and now I feel that pain led you all together for a purpose and you guys are a happy bunch and he will see your dedication and your, what you are doing in life. And now I feel like you next in line, like you are a father figure. You would be a father figure to him because of course he will never know your father. Right. Right. And this is why it's so important that I talk about on this platform a lot, like leading by example and leaving a legacy for the next generation is so important. At the same time, dealing with mental health and asking for help and support is also important. Uh, Your story is unique because it just boggles my mind because your father was in medical field. As you said, he should have known better. It's not that uh, he didn't know his way out. Like, hey, you know, yes, I am suffering and I'm taking medication and I need help. I need a support group. Instead, he chose to be on the other side. So that's just our, every, every one of us choose which side do we want to be in, on, you know. And the fact that you overcame and your sister, how old is your sister now? Um, my sister, my full-blooded sister, she is 20, she just turned 27. And what, um, what, is she, what does she do? 
she is actually a doctor herself. So she's oh. in the residency. So medical medical field family for sure. So <laughs> mother's a nurse. Uh, sister's a you know a doctor resident. Uh, stepmother who is a nurse. Um, you know, so that it's all kind of intertwined, connected. So that's just something that you know public servants all around, including myself. So. Right, and you are a hero serving the community. So so much respect, yeah. brother. I really do. Um, I'm not going to take too much time. I have a couple of more questions just to kind of get an idea. And we're going to talk a little bit about how, what is your message to people who are going through stuff, right? Like when you are inside the box, it's very hard to feel supported, very hard to feel uh, that, oh, it's very easy to feel that, oh, I'm the only one going through this, right? And I'm pretty sure you have felt it at some point in your life. And now you came on the other side and doing amazing things. And, you know, like all of you are raising this kid and like (laughs) overall just has a happy family, even though, as I said, the pain is attached to that. But you guys have started seeing the other side of it, the purpose and legacy behind uh, moving forward. What would your message be? And especially as a law enforcement now, you are constantly i'm pretty sure dealing with similar calls if not more um emergency uh you know services and all that what would be your message be to people who are really suffering and they feel that they don't have anyone to go to or anyone to listen to so the biggest thing that i've I've learned through my personal trials and through my professional trials are there are people out there that will listen that will help you i mean it's one of those for the longest time i never shared my story with people i mean this is something that i i growing up i never wanted people to know that um i couldn't legally see my father like i didn't want that so it's one of those i kept trying to hide things and the more like hidden and not open that i was like the more and more i was you know making up lies covering up stuff to try to appear normal and really in the long run is just more damaging than actually being able to say, this is what is happening. This is, you know, being able to communicate with people, just be open about what you're experiencing goes a long way. So, I mean, being able to share that kind of stuff for me, as I got older to come on this, to come on to this podcast and be able to share my story with it. You know, I think that's something that that goes a long way with the mental health recovery to kind of, process and help through it all. I mean, that's one of those that that would be my message to be able to help find help, you know, be able to talk about it because the more you're able to talk about it, the more you're, you get out of your own brain and how um, you don't, that way you're not feeling alone because other people can kind of connect with you. All of our stories are different, but I mean, at the root level, we're all human. We all go through our own personal issues and childhoods and problems growing up and just in general be able to share with each other actually makes good connections to be able to share this kind of stuff goes goes so long to help with just the recovery of it all and that's what I would give and that's where I've been able to be able to open up like I said with people even while I'm working in law enforcement to be able to talk to the people on 
at their house. Like that's, that's the one thing with law enforcement. It's very, you get into very personal issues. Yes. And, and to be able for me to share my personal issues and to try to connect to those people, let them know that they're not the only ones. And especially coming from a person that's working as a law enforcement officer to be able to turn around and be like, Hey, I've been in bad situations just like this. They're able to realize that they're, I'm trying to connect with them and that to let them know that they're not alone. And I think that is one of the biggest things that's been able to help me to let other people know that not like to be able to share and open up and talk about it helps with everything else because I don't, while in the moment, as far as law enforcement, it could be that someone could go to jail in a sense like that for domestic issue. But I mean, that's just, I'm hoping to prevent something that happened to my brother. I mean, if something were to be actually taken to the step that someone's not being physically hurt, you know, work it out in court. That's my kind of thought process on it. I'd rather have you deal with this in the very short term then it'd be such a long-term trauma that you're having to heal from multiple, multiple things. If you can at least get a start on it early, help some preventative measures, like like I said, talking and all that kind of stuff, goes such a long way. I agree with you. I mean, this is such an important message because that's a that's what I said. Like when you're going through it, you always feel like you're you're the only one and uh, you're unique. And as I was telling you offline, I always tell people. Uh, that uh, you're not special. We we all went through some sort of trauma, some sort of pain, and uh, everyone's story is different, as you mentioned. And but we all felt the same. Human emotions are still the same. Oh. Uh, how we mm-hmm. feel the trauma is still the same. It's just like we have our own narratives, and how right. we choose to come come at it and take a look at it, take a deep deep dive, and come on the other side with triumph, like you did, uh, is completely up on uh, on uh, different people on people, you know. And I do say this message every day is uh, you are not alone. And you mentioned the same thing and especially opening up to people just opens up that now you're not vulnerable. Now, now you're vulnerable. Now your voice is in your head is you're not captive to that, right? Because now, you know, you know what you had been bugging me. Here we go. This is where I'm coming from. I'm suffering. You know, like you literally, it's kind of like a vomit, like, yeah, there we go. Help me. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's like one of those two, right? You get it, like if you're trying to, um, even if you say like write out a story, right? And if you're only thinking about it in your head versus like writing it down and reading out loud then like, oh, this makes it sound better. Oh, this works out better. Like that's the same way with being able to share these issues is the same thing because you're going to be stuck in not being able to think really clearly about what is going on. You can't really... Um, process it all properly because you're only thinking about it only in your head and then the human brain has that ability to manipulate it and change things that doesn't really it makes you start to feel even worse about itself yourself and doubting yourself but then once you actually write it down or share it out loud it comes so it becomes so much clearer that this is how it is this is actually what it is that processing works so much better when you actually are able to share it, able to talk. Even if you're to write it down, it just makes it so much better than just being stuck in your head. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I think like you just said it right there and I'm not gonna, uh, uh, you know, add anything to that because I, I just wanna keep that, 
want people who are listening to keep that in mind with your story and where how far you've come and it's as you said it's a journey and you you work through it every day so I'm gonna end this conversation because normally I don't do it, but specifically you are my tribe and you're part of the tribe <laughs> that we all work out with, right? Our CrossFit. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the podcast name is Dads and Deadlifts, right? And I yeah. see you yeah. lifting a lot of weights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, so tell me what is your max deadlift, uh, one rep max? My one rep max right now is 455. So okay. I'm trying to get to that, to get to that lucky 500 number club, um, slowly but surely. But that's uh, something that I, I love to deadlift. So this works out perfectly, especially to have the gym influence there. Um, so that's, that's just where I'm at for that. So how long did, you, did it take, take for you to come to 455? Actually, this has been something that in high school I played football, so that's something that I had been lifting, um, powerlifting for a long time, just as that history. And then actually, since I walked into the gym into New Species four, just over a little over four years ago now, um, it has been actually up until probably about four months ago that I did that. So it's been a long time in the works to actually even get up that. <laughs> and it's consistency in it like it's just basically yep. it's just keep going at it every day and every time and yep. the reason i asked you is this because i wanted to end it with the with this specific message that you also know there are some days you just have to let the weights down right like you mm -hmm. just know that every day you cannot keep growing there will yep. be days that will be like uh my body is not feeling it so i gotta lift less weight and as men we have this tendency to just keep going at it, right? Like every day I have to get better. Yes, you have to get better, but there it's not a straight line, right? It's always that curve back and forth, yeah. back and forth. And consistency will keep lowering the distance between that peaks and valleys, right? And oh, the yeah. fact that I asked you this 455, because I want to end it with this for the listeners, just like in life, you know, uh, it's, it's very important to, just like deadlifts, it's very important to understand like when to let the weights uh, take some weights off and just kind of relax and uh, understand and spend some time and those uh, lighter weights because if you keep stacking weights after weights in your like and we are talking about mental health and things that bugging you uh, you will never get there it's 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 a trial and error every day and uh, I feel like that's just I, I always try to bring fitness and how we work in life it's 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 so much together right like that's just how it is so the fact that you said that and this is why this, that's why i really asked you that like how long did it take you to get there you know otherwise well, if you keep doing it every day i mean of course people would think it's gonna be 502 months but yeah. uh, we don't understand like how much every day as a human being we are changing and growing and we need to understand when to pick up more weights and when to let go some of the weights for the specific day. Oh, yeah. And it's one of those, Rish, that uh, even a month ago when it was programmed that we were doing one, one rep max out, um, I only hit 435. So, I mean, it's one of those that I wasn't, I wasn't at my 455. I wasn't even able to push that. So that's something that um, I had to go lighter because of it. But at the same time, I know that 
working up to 500 is, is in my future. I just got to keep at it. And that's something that translates what the, the amount of time that I spend in the gym. If I continue up with that kind of mentality, working towards not only just my fitness level, um, but my mental health level too, is, you know, it's going to benefit me in the long run, just to be able to, to share, to keep working on it. Um, you know, I'll be so much better for it in the long run, just like I'll be so much better at my deadlifts by the time I keep working out that and get into that number eventually over time and just keep being happy with myself. So that's, that's regardless of what I pick up as far as a deadlift, I know that I'm giving it my all doing my best effort. Um, and that's something that I turn around and try to apply it to my mental health and my well-being. As well. Yeah. Some days are better than the other, man. That's just how it is. So we just kind of <laughs> keep, keep chipping. Dave, thank you so much for spending some time with me behind the mic. I really appreciate it for um, sharing your story, sharing your message. And uh, I'm pretty sure these stories are needed. And, uh, you know, stories like this needs to be shared so that people who feel they're alone, uh, they at least feel that, hey, I mean, someone went through it and someone came out on the other side with triumph and now he's living uh, and growing and trying to live his best possible life. So thank you, Dave, once again, really appreciate it. So honored, man. Thank you, Rish. And uh, that's something I just want to say, thank you for this opportunity to be able to come on. You've put so much work into this podcast and getting this, like I said, I remember talking to you about my story even before season one started and to see where it's gone now. I mean, yeah. this is something I'm so happy for you and I'm so proud that I, uh, of what you've been able to accomplish so far, just the outreach that you've been in network, you've been able to grow so far, just happy to be here, happy to be able to share my story. And hopefully I've helped some people, uh, just by listening to what I've had to go through life and just appreciate this opportunity. Here. I tell you, brother, I mean, like, this is a, this is a mission at this point and it's, it's not going to stop. And the dads and deadlifts foundation is officially formed in Michigan. So, uh next year we are planning to do a lot of fundraising events and i think the first thing that i probably would do is something to do with fitness uh dads versus dudes had always been in my uh, mind uh competition so that's something in the works in uh, 2021 so look out for that but no seriously um i cannot tell you how privileged and how honored i am for you to share your story because as in as i said like especially like people see law enforcement people see police officers they're like yeah they're tough they're this but they also don't understand like behind that uniform there's a human being and uh they have uh they're just like us and uh and i talk to you offline also and knowing your story sharing your message is such an important uh part and i really am appreciative that you decided to do that and be vulnerable with me thank you <laughs> yeah like i said i appreciate this opportunity here and yeah especially with everything with the world as it is going on right now just being able to be that you know, a, a person that within law enforcement will show that we are just humans like you said and, and just going out there and knowing every day that we are humans too behind it all and being able to share like i said i try to i try to bring in my experience just to be that much better of a person and a police officer that I can be just to be able to connect with people and, and hope they realize everything going on. So once again, thank you. <laughs> Dave, thanks for your service and stay safe. And I will see you at the gym. Sounds good, Rich. I'll see you later. Here's to the end of another episode of Dads and Deadlist podcast. Hopefully you guys have taken some wisdom and nuggets and some points how 
one man went through it all still here overcoming all his challenges and now serving the community to the best of his abilities thanks for listening to another episode of dads and deadlifts and i hope you are as excited as i am learning from our guest today on the specific topic please subscribe share and leave a comment and tag dads and deadlifts on instagram and facebook with your experience of today's episode because remember your one share might save someone from feeling alone and provide them the tools they can incorporate in their daily lives. Let's each of us do our part in helping men around the world. You can personally message me on my Facebook page or Instagram page, Dads and Deadlifts, if you want your story to be shared on the podcast or if you just feel alone and want someone to reach out to. Always remember, you are not alone. All you got to do is reach out and I am rooting for you. Until next week, your host Rish signing off. I will see you next week with another brand new episode.